Good morning. Kinchano uh, offered us some. I I felt very skillful and richly informed reflections last evening on the theme of tanha, craving, desire, and uh, the the Buddha's identification of of craving tanha that is based on ignorance, avijja, not seeing clearly, as being that which gives rise to dukkha, the experience of dissatisfaction, unsatisfactoriness, we could say, sometimes translated as suffering. And this really kind of is the... uh, the algorithm that's at the core of the Dhamma, this, this uh, kind of invitation to reflect on the relationship between craving, which, of course, anytime we're craving something, there's, you know, if I'm craving for something to happen, there's aversion mixed in with that, isn't there? There's the opposite, because I'm not wanting how things are right now. Do we sense that, you know? And any time there's aversion, I don't like this. There's, there's wanting, craving mixed into that. And this is perhaps why the Buddha just chooses one term to kind of represent what you know, contemporary psychology often calls reactivity. Reactivity of wanting the pleasant, wanting to get rid of the unpleasant. And you know, the Buddha's strategy for helping us to release, or as he puts it in the Four Ennobling Truths, abandon tanha, is, you know, in part to inform us that what is it that we're not understanding here? You know, what's, what's the ignorance? What are we not seeing clearly? And the Buddha as well as kind of telling us that, invites us to look very closely and carefully in our own experience. What is it that gives rise to craving? What is it that conditions craving? This quality that, or this invitation that Jaya mentioned yesterday, ehipasiko, to come and see for ourselves the experience of the arising of craving. And that's why uh, the Buddha in the Satipatthana map, so that the the sutta that maps for ways of establishing mindfulness, for kind of themes for mindfulness that are most conducive to liberation, gives a whole satipatthana to the theme of Vedana. V-E-D-A-N-A. A word, a, an experience that may be familiar to, to quite a number of us um, through having done retreats. Um, so kind of familiar, uh, if you like, 
as a, as a theme, but also familiar to all of us as an experience, whether we recognize it or not. Vedana refers to the basic tonal quality of all sense experience as being pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant nor unpleasant, which, which sometimes gets translated as neutral, but the Buddha is often very precise about these things, and his term is neither pleasant nor unpleasant. And we could think of a spectrum here. This is one way of reflecting on it, you know, that, that runs from intensely pleasant to kind of more mildly pleasant, uh, and then a kind of more indifferent neutral zone, neither pleasant nor unpleasant, mildly unpleasant, intensely unpleasant. And the suggestion, the hypothesis is that every sense experience we ever have, have ever had, in each of our six sense domains, as Akinchino said last night, do you remember that sense that the, 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 the five physical senses, seeing, hearing, tasting, touching, smelling, and then mind, so thoughts, mental images, perceptions, beliefs, are to the mind what objects are to the eyes or sounds are to the ears. Does that, does that make sense? Can we feel that? It turns out to be a kind of beautifully economical and helpful way of thinking about mind in these terms. You know, and Akinjana spoke to that last night. So that every experience we've ever had in each of these six sense domains, and we're having them all the time, has come toned in as pleasant, unpleasant, or neither. This may be familiar to you conceptually, it may be something you've reflected on in on retreats, but we so easily, even if we've known this, forget this aspect of experience, don't we? Because attention tends to go to the object rather than the tone of it. I project onto chocolate. It's the chocolate I want, you know, or it's the painful knee that I want to get rid of. <laughs> yeah? What's so precise in this mapping is the Buddha says, actually, what gives rise to craving is this Vedana of the object, or the Vedana that flavors the experience of the object. So it's the pleasantness of it that I'm chasing, or the unpleasantness of it that I want to get rid of. Does that make sense? Can we see the distinction there? You know, this this relates to what Akinjana was saying about desire and gratification last last night. I'm kind of chasing the, the thought of lunch, you know, or wanting to get rid of the unpleasantness of fatigue you know and this highlights how uh, the vedana the tone doesn't belong to the object 
but is fabricated, to use the Buddha's word, in the moment of experience. That's why the fourth slice of chocolate cake has a different Vedana from the first, right? You know, fabricated in the moment. It's also why at the end of some sittings when the bell goes, there's a sense of, oh, thank goodness, you know, okay, pleasant Vedana, release, you know. At other sittings, there may be a sense of, oh, peacefulness. Oh, the bell's gone. You know, why did they have to ring it so early, you know? And it's kind of interrupting. Do, do we get that? <laughs> you know? So this important insight that the pleasantness or unpleasantness is fabricated in the moment of experience, belongs to moments of experience rather than to objects. Do we get that? It's kind of quite a, quite a key key piece here, you know. And in the moment of experience, uh, the Vedana arises. And as as Akinchana pointed out last night, there's there's nothing blameworthy in it, or there's nothing we can even do about it. It just arises like that in the moment, doesn't it? Because what we're talking about here is not a judgment. It's not that I'm thinking, hmm, yeah, is that pleasant or unpleasant? That's into a much more conceptualized and constructed activity of judgment or emotion. Yeah? Vedana is a much more immediate apprehension of all sense experiences, pleasant, unpleasant. Or neither. So in the moment it arises and it's what the Buddha calls ethically neutral. There's nothing we can do about it. It just arises like that. You know. As Akinchana kind of described last night, we can see though what so easily happens and what's kind of built into almost our kind of biology is this conditioning to pursue, to crave the pleasant, to want it to prolong, to want it to intensify, you know, to think, how can I get future examples? I liked that, um, what was it, uh, um, uh, what we had for lunch yesterday. I'm trying to remember the name of it, but it was, you know, oh, I like that. Oh, I wonder if I could get the recipe at the end and then I could do it in the summer. And and what I'm kind of planning for future instances of the pleasant, right? I hope it's not just me that does this, you know. Uh, know, we We look for it to prolong or intensify. So instantly with the unpleasant, we look to get rid of it. This is very survival based instinct that kicks in and says, oh my goodness, what does this mean, this headache? How can I get rid of it? You know, uh, or we think, who's to blame for things? You know, we're, we're looking to kind of annihilate the unpleasant. And with the neither pleasant nor unpleasant, what do we tend to do? We disconnect, don't we? You know, we're, we're, we're not really interested. It doesn't have juice in it when the mind is, when there's a sense of just automatic reaction around. So we could, in a very 
real way say that this is why the Buddha directs our attention to it, because to this nexus, this conditioning of tanha, craving, by Vedana, because it's in that moment that these underlying tendencies kick in and take us for a ride. Yeah, take us for a ride. And they, this is the kind of fabricator of experience. This is the constructor of experience. This is the reactivity to pleasantness or unpleasantness is what builds and thickens and constructs and binds. Don't we see that? You know, if, I, if I'm reactive to something someone said at work, you know, it, it kind of, there's rumination and it, it kind of keeps being fed by the felt unpleasantness of that comment, ouch, and the reactivity that kicks in trying to deal with it, trying to neutralize it, trying to, yeah, can we sense that? This is, this is what thickens, obstructs, and yeah, this word bind. Binds us, leaves us. Uh, I often quote the Roman writer Marcus Aurelius around this. We dance like puppets on the strings of our impulses, our reactions, and so, with typical precision, the Buddha directs our attention to this experience of Vedana. Because the reaction is so automatic, so it's so compressed often. And that actually part of what mindfulness does is it decompresses automatic reactivity. And we have the chance really to see, oh, what's going on here? What's going on here? And to pay attention to Vedana, to, to start really to, to get interested in this aspect of our experience, um, changes the experience. To bring mindful, kind awareness slows the automatic reaction down, generally. Or at least that's something to explore today, you know, to, to, to notice what, what's the effect of bringing attention to this. So, you know, one way of practicing with this is when we notice that the, the attention has wandered during the sitting or the walking period, you know, on the walking path, the thought of a cup of tea arises, all pleasant Vedana. So easily there's a kind of swerve off the path that takes us to the tea station. You know. In the moment of noticing, maybe to pause, to stop, to feel the feet, to find a sense of ground, to take a breath, and to notice, oh, thought, sense object, the mind sense. Pleasant <laughs> reaction, tanha arising. Yeah, can we can we sense that? You know, 
opens a moment of choice, doesn't it? Where we, we actually can decide, oh, am I just going to be governed like a puppet on strings by this reactivity, or can I choose another pathway? Can I choose to be governed by intention rather than impulse, for instance? You know? Unpleasant, you know, unpleasant experience. So easy to get busy with trying to fix it, you know. Instead, noticing, okay, the attention's gone to somewhere in the body, say, or to a, a difficult thought, unpleasant, grounding, taking a breath. Can I know, oh, this is a thought, or this is a physical sensation. It's unpleasant. I can feel the habitual reaction to it that could kick in and get me busy. And I'm actually just going to practice just breathing with it, allowing it not needing to get on that thought bus or uh, just tighten up around it. Does this make sense? Can you feel this? This slowing down, this slowing down of the reaction. Very, you know, and the ground is such a support around this because the the reaction can be so quick, can't it? (laughs) The kind of pathway it's like a vortex. It so quickly sucks us in. You know, the more times we've been re- down that, on that thought bus, or the more times we've been down that uh, kind of hole of rumination, the more quick the the swerve or the slide into it. And so the ground very supportive because the ground isn't busy reacting. <laughs> yeah. But there's more here, because the, the Buddha encourages us to pay attention to Vedana, noticing particular aspects of Vedana, one of which is the ever-changing nature of it. You know, the, the, when we, when we pay attention, I mean, if you think about the experience of eating a mouthful at lunch, don't we notice that the pleasantness of it is not something constant? Yeah? What we often may notice is the kind of hit of pleasant, particularly if it's lunch here, you know, and, and then chewing happens, and gradually the Vedana changes, doesn't it? It becomes more neutral. Yeah? Or, oh, something unpleasant, a bit of chili or something in there, you know. Or, you know, it just is flickering as an experience. Can we sense that? You know, if you, if you feel your hands in this moment, sense your hands and sense the, the tonal quality of hands. You may also notice here that it's flickering, it's changing. It may be moments of neutrality, moments of pleasantness, moments of unpleasantness even. And you know, the Buddha compares Vedana to raindrops on water, flickering and changing in every moment. And invites us in the Satipatthana Sutta with all the Satipatthanas to notice arising and passing. Notice how quickly experience is arising and passing. You know? 
Can we sense that? You know? How changeable, how radically unstable Vedana is, precisely because it depends on the moment of experience. And Akinchino gave us that example yesterday of getting something that we've wanted, you know, and finding the Vedana of it isn't what we expected, you know. You can spend the morning looking forward to lunch and find that, you know, the, the drive of that leaves me with unpleasant stomach sensations afterwards, you know. Or just that it's not, it's, it's, it's lovely, but it's not the big deal that it's been built by the mind to be by the level of craving, <laughs> you know. So really to contemplate the ever-changing dance of Vedana, very helpful, very skillful. Can we see why? Because when it's changing, it just doesn't make sense to, to invest so much in craving it. Can we see that? You know, because it, it, it's slipping through the hand like sand. You know, I'm clinging to it, and it's just slipping through. You know, we keep projecting onto experience the kind of pleasantness or unpleasantness, and actually, in the midst of it, the experience is changing. One of our colleagues compares it to being like driving in a car. When you look ahead, things look solid. When you look back, things look solid. In the moment, look to the side, they're changing fast. <laughs> you know? The mirages of past and future are not actually how things are in the experience. So the Buddha invites us to to contemplate arising and passing away. But interestingly, he, in the Sutta, the Satipatthana Sutta, he says, contemplate the nature of arising and passing away. And that's a whole kind of, in a certain way, deeper level what is it that gives rise to Vedana being like it is? What is it that conditions Vedana? Well, we can see that on the one hand, perception conditions Vedana, doesn't it? The bell, you know, if I perceive it as a relief, it's going to, the Vedana is going to be one way. If I see it as an interruption, it's going to be another way. Can we see that? Perception conditioning Veda. Somebody, somebody in one of the groups yesterday really noticed the difference between seeing something as a problem and seeing it as an opportunity. You know? Shifts the perception, shifts the Vedana. You know, to see whatever's arising as the curriculum. Whatever's happening on the retreat, curriculum. The perceptual shift changes the Vedana, doesn't it? Even if, you know, just just subtly. Part of the the radicality, though, of the Buddha's model is he says that Vedana and Tanha, the conditioning, is not just a one-way street. It's not just that the pleasantness 
of the experience conditions the craving for it, or the unpleasantness conditions the aversion to it. But the, that reactivity, the craving and aversion, conditions the Vedana. Can we see the kind of implications of that? The more I hate being in the traffic jam, the more unpleasant the traffic jam will become. And the implications of this for the fabrication of our experience, you you know, one could say these are truly radical in a certain way. Because we're constantly projecting onto objects the power, you know, that they, they have a kind of intrinsic pleasantness or unpleasantness, the Buddha is saying, no, this is something that gets fabricated. This is something that gets constructed. We have um, agency in relation to our experience. The more reactivity there is to it, the more you know, unpleasant... may taste. Because can we sense that the... Is this making sense, by the way? Please, please let me know if... That's, that's great. The, the cranial movement's helpful. Thank you, that's great. Because uh, this, is, this is really, uh, you know, this is... Um, there's so much potential here. The Buddha says, you know, Vedana rules consciousness. You know? This is so key. You know, the Vedana of craving is unpleasant, isn't it? If I really want something, really want that thing, can we feel how there's a, a tightening that happens? Yeah? You know, I really want that thing that's just come out, you know? It's the body tightens, the mind tightens. I really want to get to my walking path, you know? The, there's a tightening that happens that is unpleasant, So the craving is conditioning the, the pleasantness or unpleasantness of the experience. And leaning on is the image that the Buddha uses. He says that these are leaning on each other. These, these are mutually dependent. Well, how can we explore this um, Few, a few reflections. One is to notice, okay, there's this tightening in reaction to pleasant or unpleasant, tightening in the body, tightening in the mental space. Because when there's tightening in the body, there's tightening in the mental space. Can we feel that? You know? What is it when I feel the unpleasant Vedana just to practice relaxing the body? Finding a sense of ground. Opening the space of awareness, because you know it tends to narrow around what we want and what we don't want, doesn't it? Yeah, opening it up. Okay, feeling the ground, hearing the silence, spacious holding. To be interested, what effect does that have on the vedana? Can you, can you sense that? You know, the unpleasantness or the unpleasant thought, what happens if I really just practice kind of relaxing the body, opening the space up? To be interested in that. 
another possibility. These are all possibilities for exploring this, the nature of arising and passing away of Vedana, the conditioning of, of Vedana. Another one could be practicing allowing. You know, I can feel the unpleasantness in... Well, I had an example of this this morning. I stubbed my toe and noticed the kind of immediate contraction there. Ah, you know. And then, because I've been reflecting on this theme, thought, okay, what happens if I just practice really just allowing this? So unpleasant contraction. Really allowing this. Really allowing the sensations. Allowing, allowing, 100% allowing. Just practicing that. So interesting the effect that has on the Vedana. Can you sense that? Even in the body right now, just to make the, this moment a practice of complete allowing. <laughs> you know? We could even bring in the metta, because allowing is the dimension of metta. We could say welcoming, just welcoming, welcoming, welcoming. Just to be interested, you know, I'm not saying what will happen, but encouraging you to investigate, to notice what happens. What you may notice is that the Vedana begins to quieten and to fade. The intensity begins to calm and to cool and can you even sense that right now if you practice allowing just feeling that okay something quietens something cools something dissolves a certain kind of intensity dissolves if you ask yourself the question what's the Vedana of this quality of mind that might have a certain equanimity to it, a certain allowing to it. You may notice, oh, this is quite pleasant. It's quite pleasant in the moments when I can just allow things to be as they are. Allow the, breathe with them rather than brace against them. This is the Buddha points out this distinction in in distinguishing between the the Vedana of sense pleasures and un, unpleasant sense experience and what he calls kind of Dharma Vedana. Sensing there's something lovely about equanimity, about kindness, about allowing, about generosity about peacefulness, about ease. We discover that the less addicted we are to chasing the pleasant and trying to avoid the unpleasant, the less commotion there is in the heart, mind and body, the more there is a sense of ease and contentment. You may even notice 
that the solidity of experience begins to dissolve. And this highlights the degree to which its reactivity to the pleasant, unpleasant, and neither felt tone of experience that builds and binds and thickens. The Buddha said, when these Vedana are fully understood, there's nothing more that a disciple of the Noble Ones needs to do. So, an invitation to make this part of your practice today to the extent that feels helpful. It may be that just you say, okay, too much, I'm still trying to find a breath, you know, give me a break. Totally, totally fine to devote your practice to mindfulness of the body, sitting, walking, breathing. That's great if you make that choice. You might if you want to introduce a little bit of this, just drop in that reflection occasionally. What's the Vedana of the anchor or the primary object? You know, yeah? The breath, the hands, the sit bones, the feet. You, know? you could ask, what happens if I appreciate that Vedana? This is how samadhi deepens, through appreciating the pleasantness or the okayness of the experience changes the Vedana. So that's, you know, the primary object. The Vedana of that which pulls us away, being interested in that. And then this reflection on conditioning. You know, what happens if I notice the impermanence of Vedana? Ever-changing. And what happens if I notice and really get curious about the relationship with experience? The relationship with experience. With this kind of gesture of allowing, of letting be, in a friendly kind of way. Picking up anything that seems it might be interesting or useful from this and letting the rest go as we sit together now.
you might be aware of the Vedana as the body is moving and stretching. And also of the Vedana that might arise with the perception of walking meditation. Maybe that's very pleasant, maybe it's unpleasant, and maybe it's somewhere along the spectrum in between. And perhaps it's different this morning from yesterday evening or afternoon. So just noticing that. And so really encouraging you to continue with this practice of walking meditation and to to see it as being equally important with the sitting. And it's this continuity, this this, uh, gentle persistence uh, between one mode of uh, one mode of being aware and another that really um, builds the momentum and you 'll notice that the quality of the walking meditation or the attentiveness that you bring to the walking meditation perhaps feeds the attentiveness in the sitting and vice versa that they really support one another and so again, an invitation to see how much of this reflection on Vedana you want to bring into the walking. And as Chris suggested, a good good thing to do is to uh, explore the Vedana of whatever the primary anchor is that you're using in your walking. So it's interesting to notice the Vedana of the sensation in the soles of the feet. I've discovered that there can be immense pleasure in walking barefoot on the grass or on the wooden floor or the Vedana of just moving and also noticing how the perception of what we're doing as Chris was saying colors colors the Vedana so some one of the things that I I do in my walking meditation is rather than having the sense of me stepping on the ground to bring this quality of receptivity into the experience and really receiving the contact of the earth through my feet, whether I'm in shoes or barefoot, and having this perception of the earth touching me back, uh, this sense of earth walking on earth or this body walking being supported by earth and just how these little shifts in relationship to what we're doing can really flavor the um, quality of pleasantness or unpleasantness of it. So rather than kind of reacting to our perception of the walking as being pleasant and therefore preferable or the sitting as being more pleasant and preferable, to really this is a great opportunity to notice simply Vedana. In this moment, the perception or the idea of walking is pleasant or less pleasant, but we don't need to let that be the dictator of what we do. And then we're available to discover something different. And we can also notice the Vedana and the same in the walking of what distracts us or pulls us away. And to not make a big project of this, so, you know, it can get very fatiguing trying to notice the Vedana in every moment, and that's not really what we're suggesting. It's like, again, you know, seeing what does the mind need here, maybe it just needs a little more settling, a little more simplicity. And so to just pick this up to whatever extent feels helpful today.
Just another encouragement around uh, supporting the container of silence for one another. Um, if you're still holding on to a phone and you've decided that you don't need it and you want to hand it in in the office, that's also um, available to you any time. Um, but we also trust you to just turn it off and put it in your suitcase as well. Let's see if you, you want any extra support around that. And then also um, around holding the silence. And I know that there are several people who are here with partners or friends or family members. And it can be, it's a natural instinct to want to check in with each other. And all of us on retreat, you know, this uh, quietude and silence, you know, we sometimes feel that pull of wanting to connect. And people say, why aren't we allowed to hug each other on retreat and things like that. But to really... Um, everybody whether you're here alone or with somebody you know to to really um, respect this silence and that extends also to um, the grounds and off-site going for walks and things because uh, it does affect the field when um, some people are, uh, are you know ob obviously in communication with one another so we'd really appreciate you for your own benefit and for the benefit of the whole group to just notice those impulses to connect which are rooted in something very wholesome and lovely but just to refrain for now from acting on them so we'll continue with uh, group meetings just now and Timo and Rachel will be sitting in on some of the groups and then also this afternoon, um, Rachel and Timo will be offering some sign-up meetings. So those are for people who don't have a group meeting today who would appreciate the opportunity to talk about something one-to-one -one with either of them. And the, the notices are on the, on the board out there and you can just sign your name. And they'll be doing that in the afternoons um, through the week. So thank you. Have a lovely day of practice. And maybe you could allow the people who are in the first groups to leave the room first. <laughs>